do you enter into relationships being aligned on the goal or do you enter into the relationship being mindful of the goal and then seeing if that person aligns or not? Because there's so much information to gather about them before they could even qualify for such an important role in your life. Welcome back to Mostly Balanced with Mia and Carly. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. This, you're in for a treat. This has been one of my favorite episodes to date. It was like one of my favorite conversations today. It was so good. Mm -hmm. Just chatting with Shan. She was such a good guest. She was like the gold star of guests. Yeah, she was an A plus guest. We both got off of the recording and I was honestly in such a good mood, like had so much fun talking to Shan And Carly and I were just texting saying Shan was the best guest, like perfect, so engaging. It was just such a fun conversation. And we're so grateful that she was able to make it happen because she is pregnant and very close to her due date. And so this was like one of the last few things that she was doing from like appearing on other podcasts perspective but she is just a wealth of information and also just a wealth of experience like we talked so much about her own personal experience her own relationship how they started it was just a hookup and then how that evolved into a relationship (laughs) and then a marriage and now their second baby it was really cool and she does a lot of cool things we talked about all of them in the episode but one of the coolest things that she does is she is actually bumble's sex and relationship expert and she has worked with them on so many different studies and different things that they've done to learn more about what their community wants what they're looking for how to help them succeed in their dating life and she shares a lot of fun stats with us and a lot of fun things about traveling and dating and she has probably the best dating app advice that i've ever heard i feel like just talking to her and her team convinced me to download Bumble. It's funny because I've actually never used them before now. But let me say there are a lot of great sounding people on there. So I'm excited to hear what all of you guys listening think about the episode and everything that Shan shared and what your experience has been with Bumble. So definitely let us know. Yeah. What I loved about this is I feel like so many relationship experts or the dating advice you're kind of fed over the years is like very similar. There's usually like certain rules of like what you should do in the beginning of a relationship and how long you should wait until you have sex with your partner and all of these guidelines of how to create a long lasting successful relationship. And what I love about Shan is her experience is completely different. They started out on a trajectory that is unlike one that you might get recommended by a sex expert or a relationship or dating expert. And I like that because we try to bring in all different perspectives and share that there's not one rule book and what works for me might not work for Carly and all of our relationships are different. So it was just a refreshing take on dating and I loved her. She was so fun and her laundry list of accomplishments and features is unreal. So definitely check her out. But it was just such a funny, fun conversation. Yeah, you guys are definitely going to love it. It was so good. We're actually recording very early. We're recording a week prior because I'm flying to Ireland tomorrow for my friend Olivia's wedding. So I am so excited. I am not prepared. I have to pack and like Olivia is such a fashionista. I've been stressing over all of my outfits for all of my events, but I'm sure you will see lots of Ireland content. I was going to say before this airs, you'll have gone to the wedding. So there'll be all kinds of Ireland wedding content. Yes, but so excited. 
I have been kind of running around because I was just away with my family for a week, which I talked about last week. And now I'm in Ireland, but I have, because of that, I have like no food in my house. And I was thinking like, what am I going to talk about this week? I haven't tried anything new while I was snacking on granola that I love. So I'm sure you have heard of it before, but if not, it is the Hampton Grocer Granola. I have seen people post about this, but it's pretty expensive and I just like hadn't seen it. But I was at a cute little store and I saw the granola and I'm like, why not? I want to try it. It looks really good. But I don't know. Granola kind of all is like the same to me that I wasn't expecting to be wowed, but Mm. I was wowed. I have to say the Hampton Grocer Granola is unlike any other that I've had. It is so fresh. The flavors are... It just feels like you're eating something. It tastes like you're eating gourmet granola, which it is. Like not the super processed packaged granola you like normally would have. It is fresh. I really love it. So I've been having the chocolate and coconut granola. So the chocolate and coconut has gluten-free oats, cashews, walnuts, pecans, pumpkin seeds, coconut flakes. It's only sweetened with wildflower honey. There's cocoa powder in there, cinnamon, vanilla extract, salt, flax seeds, the best ingredients. And they have so many other flavors that I am dying to try now, like the cinnamon and dried cherry. They have a lemon and dried blueberry, which sounds amazing. They have a grain free and they have a savory, which I am intrigued by. I was intrigued by that too. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've never had a savory granola, but I want to try. But it's all whole natural ingredients. There's no refined sugar. All of the granola is gluten-free. Each jar is 50% nuts and seeds and coconut. So it's all the good stuff. It's all like trusted, clean, organic ingredients. And there's just like, it's, it's fairly a new product. It was founded in 2020 by... A woman who was working out in Montauk and just like very into all of the farm to table locally produced ingredients and she created this company. So I'm really enjoying it. I'm so happy I picked it up and I can't wait to try other flavors. Wait, I feel like I just learned so much. First of all, I didn't know that it just like was founded in 2020. Mm -hmm. And second of all, the fact that it's 50% nuts and seeds and coconut is so cool. Yeah. Because a lot of times it's just like all like oats. oats. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like it just tastes like homemade granola, like granola you would just make at home, which I feel like is but like better because sometimes that's not that great. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's a homemade quality, mm-hmm. but tastes, tastes good. <laughs> yeah. Like when you're eating it, it tastes homemade. Like this and the nut in there was like, oh, this tastes freshly roasted. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if the price tag is deterring you, just do it. Just buy a jar and see how you feel. I feel like it's just going to be this like top tier premium granola you're going to have in like a different it's just going to be in like a a class of its own yeah i'm looking at their website now they have a granola of the month club (laughs) (laughs) oh wow that's a good tip granola ships to your door every 30 days and it's like all their seasonal monthly granola flavors i love it well i'm definitely gonna try it i feel like the first time you posted about it i was like oh i have to order that and then i like didn't because i was not home i was traveling and now i'm back and ready to stock up on some groceries. So I'll have to order some Hampton granola. 
Yes, we will link it in the show notes. Well, I guess before we get into the episode, we can get back to our question segment. And we took a couple of weeks off from it since we were both traveling. But we switch off sometimes between Esther Perel's Where Should We Begin deck and then the Actually Curious deck from our friend Michael Tennant, <laughs> who was on the podcast a few weeks ago. Still one of my favorite episodes, so definitely go listen to that. But we usually choose three cards. They each have questions on them. So it's meant to be either like a game you play with friends or a partner or even something that you use on your own to like come up with a journaling prompt or just get to know yourself or other people better. And for Actually Curious specifically, it's all about building empathy and creating a bond or a connection with people that you might not have had if you didn't spark these conversations. So I picked us some cards. If you could pick anyone dead or alive, who would you shadow for a day? Mm. What are you willing to fight for and why? And describe a person you have difficulty connecting with. Why do you think that it's? Ooh, these are tough. Deep. I have difficulty connecting with everyone on Hinge. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) we actually want to post about this more because we recently posted about ways to meet friends. And what we listed were places to meet friends, because of course, the first way to meet new people is finding new people and like putting yourself in situations where you will meet people. But I think that's something a lot of people struggle with, whether it is like making friends as an adult and meeting new people or on a dating app, like how do you create intimacy with someone? So we are going to do some more content there. That's just an aside. Yeah, like building a connection, how to build a connection with people. Get these cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of them. So just start asking your hinge dates actually curious <laughs> questions. Uh, oh my God. That's like reminds me this is going to go off track, but like, would this bug you? Again, like Mia does not have that much experience on dating apps because she's been a relationship <laughs> person for much, most of her adult life. But yeah, I am. Would it bother you if people would like just like ask questions? Like it's, it's hard. I guess I'm like not explaining it well, but like I hate when I match with someone and they're like, so like, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Like, what is this conversation? <laughs> like, this is not a real, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not like, it's not a natural flowing conversation. And it just is such a turnoff for me. Yeah, I feel like that's what the prompts are for. Those are like gateway questions like that, that people have an opportunity to put their personality into. And then like, once you use those prompts, it's like a fun gateway to a conversation, then just have a real conversation. It happens all the time. It's so annoying. And then there's this other guy who every time I delete and download Hinge, he always likes me. And he always sends the same message with the like saying, hey, didn't I see you in Trader Joe's last weekend? And oh, that's his thing. Yeah. The first couple of times he said, hey, didn't I see you at Bluestone Lane on the Upper East Side? <laughs> and it was like so specific. And then like the next few times I realized he changed it to Trader Joe's. And like, I'm not even kidding. Like it was probably because I delete and download Hinge like a lot over the past like couple of years. It's probably been like at least five or six times that it happened. So then when I redownloaded it this time, he popped up for me and then I messaged him and said, hey, didn't I see you at Trader Joe's last week? <laughs> Wait, what did he say? That's amazing. He was like, you stole my line. And I was like, well, I get it from you every single time I download it. So I figured, and I never like him back. So I figured I would throw him a like and now we're entertaining oh, different that's people. A digital meet cute. <laughs> <laughs> we think you guys are going to love this episode. And if you are not already, come join us on Instagram. We do question boxes every Thursday and we've been getting so many great questions. We love giving our advice or just our own experience, suggestions, recommendations, whatever you guys are looking for. But last week we had one where I asked like if people had ever left their number on a receipt at like a bar or a restaurant or something because I had done it the night before and I was curious. 
And then like what happened when you did, and it was so funny because like everyone responded and said like nobody called. <laughs> there were like a couple that worked out. And for me, it has worked out in the past. This time they I never texted. But when I've done it in the past twice, it actually did work out. One of the guys I ended up dating for like four months after that happened. And I feel like it's just so hit or miss. But I honestly think it just puts good vibes out there to like, yeah, to do something like that. That's like stepping into being a little bit more like forward in real life or like just approaching people in a different way. Yeah, it strengthens the muscle of just like putting yourself out there in all different situations. I love that. Well, thanks for listening. We know you're going to love this episode. You'll love Shan and all of the topics we talk about. And leave us a rating and a review if you're enjoying the podcast. And otherwise, hope you have a great week. And we'll have another episode for you next Monday. Yes, thank you for listening. Welcome back. We cannot wait for our conversation today. We are joined by a certified sexologist who educates the public on topics relating to sex, relationships, dating, self-love, and sensuality. She has millions of views on her YouTube channel. She served as an expert on projects on Netflix, Hulu, ABC, and Fox. She has hosted and served as a dating expert on Quibi and a show on Peacock. And she's been featured in New York Times, Forbes, and Time Magazine. She's also a best-selling author with her book, The Game of Desire. She's a host of a podcast, Lovers and Friends. And lastly, but most definitely not least, she is the sex and relationship expert at Bumble. So now that I'm out of breath and listed <laughs> all of your <laughs> accomplishments, welcome to Mostly Balanced, Shan Pudram. Thank you. That intro just got me so hyped. I'm like, oh my God, all of these accomplishments, <laughs> got to make the most of this next 45 minutes with you. But we are so excited just to chat with you, learn more about what you do and get your expertise on some of our favorite topics. So before we dive into that, we always like to have our guests tell a little bit more about themselves. So can you just tell everyone where you're from, where you live, and then just like a little bit more about all the things you do? Oh, fun. This is like when you go to those conference seminars and like say your name, your city and something fun about yourself. Then we all have a (laughs) panic attack. Like there's nothing more fun about me. Um, so I am Shan. I live in Los Angeles. I'm from Toronto. Something fun about myself is that I'm pregnant with my second baby who is going to be landing shortly on this planet. And I'm really excited about it. And furthermore, that I, during this time of feeling so unsensual and unsexy, I've gotten to be Bumble's sex and relationship expert and talk about sex and love in the summer and going out there and putting yourself out there, things that I don't do. So it's been like vicarious for me. It's been really fun to be like, oh, these are the possibilities of the self that doesn't exist anymore. But that would be nice. That is amazing. And by the way, I've never felt less fun than when someone asks me that question. So I totally know what you Okay, let's see that question. You got to say me and Carly something fun about yourself. Oh my oh, God. See, instant panic attack. <laughs> I always say that I have an identical twin because people are like, oh, that's cool. But then one time I said it and someone was like, oh, I have tri- I'm have i a triplet. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'm not that fun anymore. <laughs> In my corporate setting, I say I host a podcast, but that's definitely not fun or unique to our See? listeners. Yeah, that's your fun thing yes. there. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're honored to have you here. And I don't think you answered the question. You didn't say your fun thing. Oh, fun for the podcast? Honestly, I mean, you're getting married. I feel like that's a fun fact. That is fun. I just started couples therapy. That is honestly what I've been thinking is like a fun fact about like my relationship that I've been like so happy to share on the podcast lately. 
Those are two really fun things. Weddings are super incredibly fun, especially now. Like people are so excited to get to weddings. It's actually the the summer of weddings. Are you getting married this summer or in the fall? I'm getting married in December, so oh. it will be a wintry, wintry wedding. Is it like a winter wonderland wedding? Oh, yeah. It's definitely winter wonderland. It's going to be freezing. Oh, yeah. Good for you. It'll be freezing in a winery. I'm getting, you know, lots. I hope it's real cozy in there. Lots of greenery, lots of wine. Everyone will just have a great festive time. I hope you're going to have one of those weddings that's fun for single people. Because I think that's like oh, really, it's, of course it's for. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're so happy to have you here. I love what you just said, actually, about you're expecting your child, eight, nine months pregnant now, but diving so deep into relationships and sex for Bumble. What has your experience been? What has your own experience with your sexuality been in your pregnancy? And how has that outlet of working for Bumble kind of either helped that? Or have you found some conflict between those two versions of you at this time? It's, it is bittersweet, I think, because to answer that question about like my sex life, it is slim to none. And if I had it my way, it would be at zero, like negative 20. I have no drive or desire. And it's so fascinating because my first pregnancy, I had a lot more energy. I didn't have another kid, number one. And I think just the nature of the way that my body's reacting this time around, it's so much more energy. And so I wouldn't have answered the same way. But this time around, it's almost as soon as I got pregnant, my sex drive tanked and then it never went back up. And so I think it's actually great for me to do the work that I do because it's the reminder that I need to be active about it. Like it's like working out. You know, some people just love working out and you're like, good for you, but I hate you. And other people are like, I don't like it, but I know it's good for me and it's healthy for me and it's healthy for my family. So I'm going to engage in exercise. I'm that person right now. And I haven't really been that person before in my life. So I love the fact that I am constantly putting myself in the sphere of reminding myself how great connection is, how great love and romance is, why it's important to make time for it, and why it is important to still prioritize your sexuality, even during times where you're in a slump or just not feeling it the exact same way. Yeah. How do you do that in your own relationship? Like, are there other things that you do to maintain a level of intimacy? Or what do you recommend people do, if, even if they're not pregnant, if their sex drive is lower right now, or their partner's is? How do you navigate that? I think there's two really different, big differences when it comes to low sex drive. There is low sex drive that is frustrating and low sex drive that is not frustrating. And so low sex drive that is frustrating could be characterized as HSDD, which is hypoactive sexual desire disorder. And that is people where it's like, I really want to, it's just not coming for me. And those are the people wherein like you need to find other interventions. You need to have strategy. You have to get very specific. And then there's low sex drive that's not frustrating. You're like, this is just a fact of my life right now. Like the same way that like, I don't like cheesecake. It's just not a thing that I'm into this season. And I would classify myself as it's not frustrating. And because I'm hyper communicative with my husband and hyper communicative about our experiences, thanks to the work that I do, especially, and he's aware of what my body is going through. And so it doesn't cause any friction in our relationship. We're just embracing this as a season right now. I would say that you can do that. So you either embrace it or you work really actively to strategize and to change it. But focusing on that frustrating word, I think is really important to help you differentiate one from the other. That's such a good point. I'm so glad you made that clarification because I feel like in one of those situations, you might not even know why it's the case. Like in your case, you understand why it is and it's not something that bothers you because it just is the season that you're in right now. But for somebody who might be super frustrated, that frustration might also come from the fact that they're like, 
how come I suddenly never am in the mood to have sex, but like I want to be kind of thing. That's like Bumble had this survey they did last summer. And one of the big trends from last year were people who identified as consciously single. It's like 53% of respondents. And I loved that because we're so used to frustratingly single, right? Like I'm single and I can't find somebody. It's I'm going to every single wedding. I'm trying everything. And then no, there's people who are like, yeah, I'm single. And it is the best thing for me right now. It's the season that I'm in. Sure. If circumstances change, I'm open to it. Obviously I'm on Bumble, but I'm not desperate. I don't need a partner right now. And I'm not single because I can't find somebody else. I'm single because I joyfully choose to be alone based on what's around me right now. And I think that that's really important. So I think, it, yes, if you, sex drive and mismatched sex drive is, is a huge issue in relationships, but I think that we automatically assume it's a negative thing. And for some people, it can just be a detail of their life. I'm so happy that you said that because I feel like in the world we live in and the content we're served all the time, like there's so many books, there's so many podcasts, there's so much content about like, here's how to date to find a partner. And this is what you should do to find your partner and be in a relationship. And I think we try to have that conversation where being single isn't actually a really important part of your life. and the end goal doesn't have to be a relationship for a lot of people. And I love the point about sex drive too, like low libido, such a negative connotation, but that is perfectly fine to be who you are. And I think that's the message we hope to send to everyone, no matter what situation they're in or the choices they're choosing to make in their life. And it goes along with one of my favorite taglines I've heard you say is like, take a driver's seat in your dating life. Yeah, You make the call. <laughs> you have the autonomy to take control. So I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Yes. I mean, I think that's why I was a natural fit for Bumble Sex and Relationship Expert, because this is something that I've always led with. It's funny because my book is called The Game of Desire, um, Five Surprising Secrets to Dating with Dominance and Getting What You Want. And a lot of people like didn't like that because they were like, what do you mean date with dominance? I'm like, I don't mean walk up somebody at a bar and be like, can I buy you a drink? Like, it doesn't <laughs> mean that. It doesn't mean that you're like aggressively going after people. It means that you're putting yourself in the driver's seat instead of being in the tower, waiting for the right person to find you, waiting for someone to call you back, waiting and hoping someone doesn't ghost you, waiting to make the first move. Like, you are in essence doing what you do in every other part of your life that matters to you. You are putting yourself in position to succeed and only you know what your goals are. Only you know what success looks like. So you're the only capable driver. Yeah, that is so interesting. There's so much waiting and hoping and expecting in dating and in relationships and not enough intention. Like you said, taking the reins and taking control and people have been fed this like information that then they just take to be true about the way they should date and the mindset they should have. Like I'm 33 and I date to date. Yes. As long as you know what you are doing and what your intention is, and you're like willing to take control then you can do whatever you want in the dating world. I would love to ask you guys take on this because I get into this debate semi-frequently with friends, but a friend of ours, actually, he's married now, but he said that the way that he got together with his wife and the advice he gives everyone is as soon as possible, tell that person, like, I'm in this for marriage. I want to be serious. I want kids. Where are you? So he said, like, their very first phone conversation was like six hours of him really explaining, like, this is the trajectory that I'm on right now. Are you on board or are you not? And I was like, I think that's the worst advice. Um, I would be so scared away. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, Bumble has these intention badges that you put out there where it says, like, 
you know, what are you on this app for? What is your intention for it? And there's something about that that I like, but entering into new relational dynamics and before you even know if that person is cool enough to go grab ice cream with, making sure that they're willing to get married to you doesn't feel logical to me, but I know a lot of people are on board with that. Like, no, like don't waste your time with people who are not in it for the long run. Yeah. I mean, I am totally for like being upfront about what you want in relationships, but I think that's way, it's way too much too soon. I think you have to know that for yourself, like definitely know what you're looking for yourself. But I think you kind of close a lot of doors by having that like intense conversation and intention right away, because you never know, you never know what someone else could bring out of you as well. So I would like that conversation to happen in like the earlier dates, but I'm all for like taking it easy in the beginning and getting to know someone without having that label already assigned. I I do love it on the profile though. Like I love the profile. I do really gravitate toward a profile that says what they want, even if it does say like looking for a long-term relationship open to short, like even if it's not something so specific and it's kind of broad, I like the idea that it shows that at least they've thought about what they want. I feel like it just like, it's so hard for me to say because it's not something that I would do. Like I probably wouldn't lead with, I want to get married and have three kids. It's just so situational (laughs) depending on like if, if I was like crazy about the person, I don't know. I would probably like view it as love bombing. Maybe that's just because I, I feel like I am just conditioned to think that if somebody is being that forward, then they must be like doing it for a reason or to get something out of you. But it's definitely an interesting question. I have something in my head that I wanted to ask you just from a few minutes ago when you were talking about how you have such great open communication with your partner. But did he always have really good communication? Or did you have to kind of like not coach him? But like, <laughs> has his communication changed since you've been together? Or was it always very open with the two of you? I think he trumped me in many areas, definitely in conflict resolution. He was much better than me. My husband has never called me a name ever, ever, ever. Um, So I am not the person who can make that claim. And I think just in terms of being goal-oriented during conflicts, it's something I learned from him. And he's a kind person, like a genuinely nice person. So I think that a lot of the techniques that I had a lot of the habits that I carried before this relationship wouldn't really allow them to work. And furthermore, I think that not having a receptive partner who was operating from a base of kindness wouldn't have made it so successful. So I don't know if it was I helped him or he helped me. I think that the unique combination of what we both had, and we both wanted what the other person had, like I wanted to invite more of his just natural kindness into my life. And he wanted to invite more of my intentional communication practices into his world. So I think the two of those together made it so that we could have these kinds of conversations. Yeah, that's such a nice balance that you can both learn from each other there. I think that's when resentment really pops up when it's one of one person doing all of that. But on the topic of being really communicative with your partner. I believe you and your husband started out as fuck buddies. Am I correct? Yes. <laughs> so how? <laughs> it's my favorite story. <laughs> yeah, I want to I hear it again because I think I heard it on a podcast. But I feel again like going back to like what we're fed in dating advice and dating world. Like, oh, if that if you start in a relationship like that, like 
I don't know, I feel you're often told the precedent you set in the beginning, like you'll never be able to turn someone into a relationship again with that like language of turning someone into your partner. But I want to hear a little more about that, how it started and how your relationship progressed and how communication played a role in that. Yeah. And going back to what we were talking about too, of like, do you enter into relationships being aligned on the goal or do you enter into the relationship being mindful of the goal and then seeing if that person aligns or not? Because there's so much information to gather about them before they could even qualify for such an important role in your life. So it doesn't matter to me on the first date if you want three kids or not. If I don't think you're a good dad, we're not having kids together. But I don't know that so early on. But that to be said, one of my favorite pieces of advice I got was from my favorite psychologist, whose name is Dr. Barry, who's not a famous person, but just famous in my mind and just a really smart man. But he said that healthy intimacy is built one step at a time. And it's not a walk. It is like a saunter at a museum. So you take a step, you stop, you talk for a little bit, you discuss the art and you decide, do we go back to the other piece that we were at before? Do you want to keep going forward? Or do we call it and leave here? And it is that slow, mindful process of being there to savor versus being there goal-oriented or to progress to a given goal as fast as possible. You would think about that when you go to a museum, there is like an aimlessness about it, right? You don't have to hit every exhibit. You don't have to do things in a certain order. And there is constant communication amongst you and the other people to like really assess what it is that you're experiencing together and seeing how each person feels. And so that's how we got into our relationship. I feel like that is exactly what we did without knowing it was that. It was like, hey, what kind of connection would work for you right now? At the time that he and I got together, I had just gotten out of a four-year toxic relationship that was on and off. It was a partner that I had lived with at one time. We were then long distance at another time. Like We had changed the circumstances and the configuration of our connection so many times trying to make it work and nothing did. And eventually I was like, this is it. And it ended in the most dramatic Tyler Perry fashion way. And when it ended, I was so aware that I was not emotionally ready to re-engage with someone else. But during the time that me and my ex were together is actually like when I was studying to be a sexologist is when I got my associate in sex education. So I was learning all this great stuff about sex. And if you know anything about toxic relationships, one of the very first things to go in many cases is the sex. Like that becomes this weird power dynamic and one person withholds. And when you do do it, you can't really relax. And so we had really bad sex. So I remember ending that relationship and being like, I know I'm not ready to emotionally engage. I have a lot of work to do. On top of that, I was also, I'm an immigrant. I'm from Canada and I was on the fritz of like deportation. My visa was running out. So I'm like, I definitely can't look for a man, but I can definitely invite pleasure into my life. And I deserve that. Like after all that I've learned and all that I've gone through, I deserve to be with someone that I could just feel good around and focus on that. So I was looking for that. And similarly, at the time that I had met Jared, he had been looking for that. So the alignment was there. And then our relationship really just went that museum way. We did that for a bit. We looked at that piece of art. We enjoyed it. No one of us was like, yeah, but this means that this, that, and the third, we were just there. And then it was like, okay, cool. I have a party going on next Friday. Do you want to come and bring friends? And I'm like, do I want to go to a party that my, you know, my fuck buddy is throwing? Like, is that going to make things weird? I don't want our friends to meet. I'm like, okay, I'll go. I went and we had a great time and it was casual and there was no pressure. And no one was like, oh, is this the girl you've been telling us about? Like nobody <laughs> made it awkward. That made me feel like it was 
intensifying the intimacy in a way that I wasn't ready for and vice versa. And that just kept happening until we were married. <laughs> like really, like that's actually not true. That's not true. <laughs> that happened until we moved in together. Now getting engaged that I had to be very intentional about. That is where I will tell. And I have an episode, you guys also talked to Krista for uh, almost 30 podcasts, but I have an episode on my podcast with Krista and Lindsay about pressuring to get married. And so that is when I stopped being that casual museum goer. And that's when I started being the like, when are we going to get married? When are you going to buy the ring? Da, 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 da. But up until that point, it was definitely the advice that I would give to other people. Wait, but the move in, like, how did that just happen naturally? Like there was not a conversation about it. I mean, obviously there was a conversation, but how did it progress to that? I feel like that is the first like big step that I am like having trouble wrapping my head around how it just like naturally happened. Yeah, he was, um, he lived with someone else and that person was moving their romantic partner in. And so he was like, I don't really want to be in this space. So he was like, I'm going to leave for two weeks and then look for another spot. Cause I think it was like middle of the month or something. And I was like, okay. And so then he was going to go and like live like really far out of town. And the reason why our relationship actually worked in the beginning, I would say is because we lived five minutes walking distance. Mm. Uh, the scientific basis for what makes relationships works is proximity, similarity, and familiarity. And so we definitely had proximity. And we often talk about that. Like, I wonder if we would have made this far if we didn't just happen to live so close. And we have an interesting story too, because when I saw my husband, it was like lust at first sight, but we actually didn't connect until a year later. And when we did connect a year later, I was then single, he was then single, and he had just moved somewhere local. So I was like, if we would have tried to connect a year prior and we were in where we were at and living different, you know, very far in the city, I wonder if it would have worked. But that to be said, I was just like, oh, why don't you just stay with me for those two weeks until you figure it out? Like get along great. It's fine. Like it's not a big deal. Like whatever. And he initially was like, no. And I was like, oh, okay. And then he was like, I'm sorry. I said, no, you know, a week later, I just feel, felt kind of weirded out by it. And I just, you know, I don't want to set the wrong, you know, intention between us. And I was like, totally. I understand. Like, but just know I wasn't offering it to you, like move in with me. I was offering you a place to crash. And so he's like, okay, in, in that case, I would love if I could and I'll contribute in these ways. And we made an arrangement. He came. We had just the best time, just easy, enjoyable. And previously to that, I had told myself that because I'd lived with an ex-partner and every roommate that I had had, I had a negative experience. I really started to believe I was best suited to live on my own. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the term lat, which is living apart together. And I was like, even if I do get a romantic partner, maybe I'm best suited for that life because when I, when someone's in my space, it just brings out the worst in me and it just doesn't really work. So he was the first person that I was like, I love living with you. And so after that point, the two weeks were up and then he was, had found somewhere and I was like, are you excited? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, hmm. And I was like, what if you stayed here? He's like, I didn't want to ask, but what if I stayed here? And I was like, yeah, I'd like it if you stayed here. And then at that point, we're like, okay, well, we should change our relationship title from friends with benefits to something else because we now live together. So that's how that happened. I love that story. I really love the whole museum analogy and just like following your natural, the natural progression of your relationship. And when it came to like now, all right, you changed your title from friends with benefits to in a relationship. And then did you, did you already have conversations about is marriage for me? Or is this like, when did those conversations start where it's like, okay, we have fun together. We love living together. This great is great. This feels great. Then how did it go even the step further 
of committing to each other and getting married you talked a little bit about like i don't know if you were pressuring him but like someone yes. here like yes i'm very clear about that too like what when you're on the road to approaching marriage and like one person might want it more than the other like how do you navigate that yeah that was difficult for us it was a difficult sticking point and the episode that i did with kristen Lindsay actually had a really fascinating aha in it because i spoke with my husband jared and my brother-in-law who's married to my sister who my sister also pressured my brother-in-law to get married just about it. Like, you know, because in essence, and I always say this about relationships is that titles are not things that you choose and then you work to fit into them. They're things that describe what you already have. So actually someone asked me yesterday, like I'm in this situation and it ended and I'm so heartbroken and I hate myself for it because I'm like, it was just a situation Like, why do I care so much? And then they described what they had. I'm like, that's a relationship. That person just didn't choose to call it that for whatever reason, obviously, because they wanted to avoid some form of accountability. But all in all, like a lot of people are married, but they don't call it a marriage. Like the level of partnership, the level of investment, the level of commitment that you have for each other, that's what a marriage looks like. So that's kind of where I felt where I was with Jared, where we were married. Like, We owned a business together. We had moved, this was our third place that we had lived in together. Our families knew each other. We did Christmases together. We just like, we had that relationship. And because of what I do for a living as well, like my relationship status is constantly being put as we're on this podcast right now, it's always going to be a topic of conversation. And so it was, I explained to him, I'm like, Hey, I am in a Ferrari relationship but I'm driving a Honda Civic. (laughs) So I'm pulling up to places in a Honda Civic, but I got this Ferrari at home that like, why can't I drive that? Like, why are we not calling this what it is? And Jared was the first person to say, you're my life partner. I'm going to spend my life with you. He was the first person to say these things. And so my interesting aha, so I did the pressure thing. I mean, ultimatums, everything, all that. like, there's, it was nothing about it was cute. (laughs) But years later, when I finally had this conversation, which happened probably in the fall of um, 2022, 21, my brother-in-law said this thing that was so fascinating to me. He said, for many women, based on like traditional patriarchal, heterosexual, cishet norm rules, marriage is the alleviation of pressure because your mom, your friends, everybody is like, well, you're not married. Well, you're not married. I had somebody on my podcast recently talking about their relationship and the amount of comments I saw from women that was like, I can't listen to her because there's no ring on her finger. Like we're always discrediting other women for not being married. Like you're not married. So this, so that pressure is alleviated once you get married. However, for men, the pressure begins at marriage because now you have to be a provider. You have to be at a certain level of maturity. Like you now have to be the like dominant of the home. And like financially, if things go wrong, you're the one who's looked to to blame. So he was like, you have to understand it from that standpoint that men don't get the pressure to get there. But once we're there, the pressure begins. And I was like, oh, I never thought about it that way. And that's like, my husband's like, yeah, like that was it for me. Like I was, I felt like I could be your boyfriend, but the responsibilities and the pressure that comes with being a husband, he's like that. I wasn't sure if I was ready for, I was ready to be your husband, to marry you, but to have the pressure societally of what a husband should do and have accomplished. He's like that. I didn't feel ready for. Yeah. Well, first of all, I love your analogies. I feel like they really just put everything into perspective. But yeah, it's so interesting because I had never even thought about it that way with the pressure and the way that it shifts in a heterosexual relationship for maybe the man at a different time versus the woman and the emphasis that we all put on 
marriage in general and needing to to see the ring on that person's finger to believe that they're like successful at dating or successful at relationships and everything like that. You gotta ask me, did you pressure for marriage or did it come the the natural way? I really I I really don't think I did. I had a lot of internal anxiety about it. Like I would think about it a lot. He, it was interesting because he'd been married before and divorced. So there, and that was a very like pressured situation from what I gather. So I wanted to be like, absolutely not that. And I wanted to, I wanted it to be, I wanted to know it was his decision and I wanted it to know when he felt ready. And I knew a lot of those things like being financially stable, being like ready to commit, making the choice on his own was like, energy that he needed to like fully encapsulate before making that decision with me. So once I knew it was on the table and like, yes, you wanted to get married again. Yes, it was going to be like within this time frame, like then I was totally fine. So I think we like had those conversations and that communication. And then I just like, took a backseat. That's great. Yeah. And I think that that's, if I could go back in time, I, I wouldn't change anything because it was great for me. It worked out nice, but I do. <laughs> yeah, of course. I think we all wish that we had that story. And it was talking to Krista and Lindsay. It was like, Krista and I were somewhat in the same realm. And then Lindsay had the opposite. She had that TV engagement where it's like, I had no idea. I wasn't even thinking it was completely <laughs> a shock. And so it's always fascinating <laughs> to hear the various ones. I like to uplift all stories because yeah, we are told. And I don't actually think that I even started talking about the pressure that I put on until like a, we had been married for like a couple of years. And so then people were like, you mean that YouTube video that you put out with, cause he of course proposed and surprised me in this beautiful way, but you got to put an asterisk on surprise when the day before you were like, when are we getting it proposed? Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> I feel like Mia's was like such a combination of the two, because like she said, it was like a few intentional conversations that you guys had, but then it was like a total surprise that day. Like, I feel like you hadn't talked about it in a little while and it was just like the last day you were expecting it to happen. But that said, like you knew it was going to happen, just not like mm -hmm. when and where and yeah, everything Yeah, I like would that. definitely, I think the Mia way is definitely the right way. I think if you can get to that space where you're like, we're in that Ferrari relationship, we're married right now. We have the kind of relationship that I want for the rest of my life. That's the time that you know that proposal is logical. And so when you're there and your partner acknowledges that you're there and you both acknowledge that what this is going to look like is this turning into this, you know, structured, formal government signed agreement at some point, I think that's when you can let it go. Should yeah. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> I love the concept of just like being in the relationship that you want to be in. And then that's when you define it as, as such. And I definitely heard you talk about that on Girls Gotta Eat too. I listened to your most recent episode with them. And that was such a good conversation. And to your point earlier about being more intentional in your dating and dominating in your own dating life and taking the reins because you can ask and ask and ask for this relationship that you want. But you have to actually like live it and make it happen in order to have the person receive that request from you. If you're asking for something that's so far off from what you actually are like living day to day with this person, then it's obviously not going to actually translate into real life. But this is kind of like a complete segue into a different topic. But knowing that you speak about sex and about all things dating, it's just always so interesting to us that even on some podcasts that are all about dating and relationships, they just shy away from talking about sex and people don't want to share about their own sex lives or they think that their sex life isn't good because it's different from someone else's or whatever it is. And so I want to know more about how what the narrative was like for you growing up about sex, you obviously got into this field and became an expert and you're educated on all of these topics. But 
Is it because you had a household environment where the conversation was very open or was it like the opposite? Definitely opposite. I wouldn't say opposite, opposite. My dad had said to us, you can ask any question that you want. And I think a lot of parents take that approach of like, oh, I open the door if they ever have anything. Then you're leaving the burden of responsibility on a minor to be able to navigate a conversation that's very tricky, very taboo and filled with minefields, right? If you have an authority parent-child relationship. So that was their route. But in addition to that, I was very sexually precocious, very young. And in a way that was positive for me and the way that I viewed very positively, I have an episode on my podcast that's called Naked Barbies and Humping Pillows. And it just talks about like, yeah, in my very young like years, my Barbies were always naked. And like, I, I liked the feeling of my body and stuff. And so my parents were like very freaked out by this, I think just by virtue of, you know, preserving innocence. And so they discouraged that part of myself. And so then I got older and it was like, ask me anything. I was like, that doesn't really feel true to the dynamic that we've already started to set here, which is like, you have a very particular way in which you want me to behave. And if I don't, I get in trouble. And that actually like lasted all the way through. I remember my first sexual experience with penetration. My parents found out because someone told on me, I was like running track and field. And one of my teammates told her parents who then told my parents, and I got in trouble for it. And I think years later, I had the same exact situation, really? by the way, exact same. Wait, they they like, told your parents what? Yeah. Well, they told their parent you know, she had sex with this guy on this, at this track meet. And then their parents told my parents, and then I came home to that energy, you know, the energy where they're in the basement watching and they're like, (laughs) yeah, they're like, can we speak to you for a second? And then you're like, oh my gosh, what is this about? And then they're like, tell us what happened at da, 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 da. And then you're like, uh, you know, like we heard a different story and all of that. So, oh my God. Mia, I never heard your story about that either. I feel like I've like blocked a lot of this out, (laughs) but I mean, I had a very similar situation as you, Shan. Like, I feel like I was very aware of like my sexuality young. Carly and I, we were actually just talking about this recently. And I think my parents, I have three older sisters, they were much older. So they like knew what they were to expect, but it was never like something so talked about. Like, yeah, I always, if you have questions, ask. It wasn't like so negative, but I remember as soon as they, I think they were just like waiting until something did happen. And yeah, my friend told her parents who told my parents, and then I came home and had that like negative energy and they pulled out the etiquette book. It was like a whole thing. (laughs) Yeah, it was. And it's deeply discouraging. And I remember studying sexology years later and we had one of the courses that I took was year by year, you know, what is normal sexual behavior? I say normal in quotations. I don't mean normal, like what's right, but instead like what's the average, Mm. you know, based on some census or some survey, but it was just saying, you know, year four, year five, year six, you know, it's, it's very normal for a four-year-old to discover their genitals and want to explore and talk about that or to be fascinated by potty words. And so it was actually saying that for a lot of people with vulvas, you know, people identify as women, that at around age 16, the way that your pelvic floor fuses and the hormones you start to get, that is like very natural for your body to start to want to initiate at that time. And that was such an aha for me because I had my first sexual experience at 16 and my parents were so mad at me and they were like, why did you do this? Why did you decide? And I was like, it was my, it was, my body was naturally evolving to do that. I was like, when I was one years old and started walking, did you push me down? 
because I should know better. You're like, no, like you're getting certain drives and certain cues as your body grows to do certain things and to act in certain ways. And in some cases, if you're not aware of that, especially like you don't, you can't even explain why you have some of these drives. And so rather than being disappointed in the choices that I made, look at it like this is how my body is now positioning itself to do. And there are new decisions that I have to make based on that information. So I remember I, I said, had mentioned that to them, you know, like he, probably when I was 30, I brought that up. But yeah, I definitely think that not having that is what inspired me to start the work that I do and not having an open, safe space and a non-judgmental space, just a matter of fact space to learn about my body and other people's bodies and the things that they consensually wanted to do with it. That is what I wanted to offer the world. That makes so much sense. I had like a pretty, I, I don't know. I feel like on one hand, I was about to say that I had such a different experience because well, so my mom was a teacher in my high school. And so wow. I feel like I just assumed she like heard everything that was going on. But I did have like a, I guess, kind of similar experience to both of you guys, because my first like high school boyfriend, and I was not even having sex with him, but I was, I don't know, like hooking up with him in his car at like the local fairgrounds. And the police came and they called my dad to come and pick me up. But they when they called him, they said, we caught your daughter having sex with her boyfriend in the car. And I like was not having <laughs> sex with him. But there was like no telling him that afterward. And like that stuck with me because like when the first reaction is like, this is such a bad thing that you're doing, then it's like, that's the mindset that you have about it. We see it play out with like, full grown adults not being open enough to talk about like anything about sex, because it still feels like such a like taboo topic. And I would say it's so interesting too, that the switch happens and no one acknowledges this. I know this a lot from people I've worked with who come up for, come from deeply religious backgrounds, that there is this like hyper focus on no dating, no interactions with people that you could be sexual with, no sexual activity. And then it switches suddenly to why aren't you married? Yes, it's <laughs> and there's crazy. nothing in between that happens. That's so true. Right. And the same with sex, right? It's like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And then you're married and it's like, oh, but you guys aren't sexually active and you guys aren't this when and are your sex drive is low and this is a problem. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and there's like no acknowledgement of like either phase or some type of learning curve that you would allow for that really drastic switch over. Yeah. It's so interesting. And I think there's still so many people in relationships as adults that like shy away from the topic of sex. And like, we talk about it so much on our platform and we like look into people that live their lives are here to talk about sex and help others. But there's so many relationships still that sex is just like not really spoken about and you don't share your interests with your partner or you suppress any like fetish you have, or like, there's not Maybe you're not talking if you don't have like differing libidos. So in the work that you do with couples, are you still seeing, do you see that trend as well? Oh my gosh, 100% all the time, every day. And in every bit of work that I do, do I see that trend? But I just liken that to practice. You know, some people ask me like, how did you get so comfortable talking about sex? How did you get so open? It's like really obvious. I've been doing it for 15 years. <laughs> like there's no mystery there. I didn't read a book or wake up one day or watch a specific video. I just constantly did it in various environments and I just kept challenging myself. And I think if you're someone who can acknowledge that talking about sex is not easy for you, starting with your romantic partner may not be the best first place. 
That's a very high stakes, intimidating environment. Just like if you've never cooked before, Thanksgiving is probably not your time to try stuff out. If you're just don't host it, you don't know what you're doing yet. So find low risk environments, put yourself at places that you can learn language, ask questions, try out different stuff that your awkwardness is not going to come across as judgmental, like get into your flow a little bit, and then you can start trying it out in environments that feel more precious to you. But repetition is just really the only answer to it. And not just repetition in terms of talking about it, but engaging in information in podcasts like this, where you hear other people talk about it. And you're like, oh, that analogy really fit. I'm going to utilize that in a conversation with my partner that seems a little tricky or that phrasing really worked. One of my favorite things to suggest to people who have a hard time describing what they like in their bedroom to their partner is this website that's called omgyes.com, which was, I when I stumbled upon it, it was the perfect time. But in essence, it gives a glossary of terms to describe how different people reach orgasm, different people evolve specifically. So it's like tapping, orbiting, cocktailing, consistency, because a lot of people it's like, well, you know, learn to masturbate and then tell your partner what it is that you like. But like, if I've never ever described what I'm doing before, how do I communicate that verbally to someone else? Like I need the language, the concrete language that someone else can get to say, oh, now I understand what you're saying. So it's more than just talking about it. It's also ingesting information that gives you the tools to effectively communicate. Yeah, I love all of that advice. And that's like, it's those technical things that I feel like come from talking to someone like you and an expert in this space, because sometimes you're just like, I don't know how to talk about sex, and you just get overwhelmed, you need like those actual tools to like you said, have the language or to learn how to work on those things outside of your relationship, like, and that translates to everything, not just sex. But if there's like, something specific, if it's like communication, and you feel like you're not great at communication in your relationship, pay attention to your communication with your friends and your family and work on it in like all areas of your life. But if you can kind of like spread it out and like find other areas to work on, then I think it's a lot more helpful. I have this episode on my podcast that came out just yesterday. This is like a hot button like thing for me, but it was called men's ego, the biggest cock blocker to actual great sex. And the point that I was making in it is that like, there are so few straight men who engage in learning about sex. And so many of the people in my comment section, you know, mostly men were like, well, I ask my partner. It's like, that's not what we're saying. You're, it's nice to ask. And like, don't get me wrong. That information is out there. Like communicate with your partner, ask your partner what they like, but then you put the burden of responsibility on them to educate you. And number two, the burden of responsibility to bring new things into the bedroom. Like if you're not actively learning and seeking out things, if you're not using your own free time and you're just relying on the time that we're together for me to scaffold you, like that's actually not what I'm talking about. I mean, it's both working beautifully together, which is the Malcolm Gladwell recipe for success, which is practice plus apprenticeship. Like there has to be a mix of both where you're engaging and you're practicing, but then also you're seeking out expert information so that when you do practice, you're not just doing things based off of what you and one other person existingly know. I love that. Men, learn about sex in your free time. Right? Yes. <laughs> Let me see a dude on the subway reading Come As You Are. Like, that's a turn on to me. Yeah, I'd rather see it than some of the other things I see dudes doing on the subway. <laughs> <laughs> well, we always like to close with some like rapid fire type questions just to learn a little bit more about you outside of the work that you do. 
But before we do that, can you give some overarching advice for somebody who just feels like they're like not getting anything out of their dating app profile? They feel like they like don't even know where to begin. Maybe they're just like mindlessly swiping. What are your like, I don't know, like not 10, but like 10 commandments of using a dating app? I think first and foremost, less is not more. That I think in the world of dating and sex, we all kind of apply that. The, if you don't look for it, it'll come to you. Don't try so hard or else it comes across as desperate. Just be yourself. You don't have to put in all those extra bells and whistles. And it's like, it doesn't, that would not apply to anything else in life that you want to be great at. You have to put in effort. And there's a mix there, right? Because if there is, it's like a dancing, you know, the choreography, you learn the steps, you put in the time, then you bring your own art and your flow to it. If you're the kind of person who is all technical, all choreography, I look at you, I can just see the eight count. There is no joy in watching you dance. But if you're also the person who's just drunk and flailing everywhere, there's also no joy. So use both in tandem together. And dating profiles are specifically designed to help the people who help themselves. So the more that you fill out the profile, the more that you engage with the new updates, because those updates are based on giving people the best amount of success. So if, for example, Bumble put out badges, use the badges. They are prioritizing people who utilize those and they have seen success with people who put out front, you know, here's what my interests are. Here's what my stance is on vaccination. Here's how I feel about dating. Like those are important things that you can utilize to help yourself receive more success. And then try to think about everything through the lens of how do I start a conversation? Every picture that you post, imagine three things that someone could say or ask you based on that picture. If the three things that come to mind are a turnoff to you, don't use that picture, right? I don't care how great you look. If you're like the only natural thing someone could say to this photo is great ass, and I'm going to want to block the person who says that, don't put that picture up. And I also love the fact you can put captions now too, because if we exist in the social media space, every single one of my captions on Instagram starts with a question because engagement is top of mind for me. Utilize that on your dating profile as well. Like there's a picture of you traveling in Rome. Have you ever been to Rome before or Europe? Like build those things in to build engagement and make it easy for people to communicate with you in the way that you want that's going to bring out the best in you. And that's also really important as well. It's a snapshot of who you are as you look, filterless as possible, um, and what matters to you today. So I think that that's the biggest thing. And then also what you guys do in this podcast is don't do it alone. It's not like a single siloed effort. Ask your best friend to review your profile. Someone who you know sees you in your best light. Get that person's input on if this positions you in a way that's going to set you up for success. And if they have some suggestions on some photos that they think could be cool, try them out. Because dating profiles, they're not etched in stone, just like a resume. Every time that something changes, you update it. You change the color if you're not getting the success that you want. Be flexible, let it be fun, and it could be a great exercise into getting to know yourself and self-love if you joyfully and actively engage in it. That is the best advice. It truly is. Every single word, every single photo you are putting in there is so intentional and you have to think about it that way. I love like brainstorming what someone could possibly ask you in response to this photo and using the captions as questions is amazing. You're like serving up someone like, the easiest way to respond to you. I love that. I think that sometimes we're like against that in dating because we want to think that the right person just magically knows. Like, I don't want to make it too easy because if they're the right person, 
they'll just guess it. I'm like, that's crazy. Do you know how few magicians I know in this world? Do you know how many great <laughs> people enough. I know? It's disproportionate. <laughs> and a lot of the magicians are shitty people. So <laughs> not interested in mind readers. Yeah. I mean, I also feel like having a friend to help is like the easiest advice, but also like the most underutilized. Like it wasn't until very recently that I sent Mia the pictures that I have of myself on my dating app profile. And I'm like, are these good pictures? And I was like, why have I never asked anyone this before? I just kind of like picked the last six pictures I had posted on Instagram and put them up. And getting like a friend's perspective who, like you said, knows you well is super helpful. So I love that advice. Thank you. Did, Did Mia give you good advice back in return? Yeah, she did. And then we went through my prompts too. (laughs) Good. That's great. You didn't engage friend, not a like, yeah, girl, it's great friend. You're like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. So we love to close with some fun rapid fire questions. What is your favorite method of self care? Right now it's mindfulness. It's the most accessible form of self care that I have because I'm constantly uncomfortable in my body. I am sweating like a pig right now. I'm hot. My fingers feel like they're about to explode. You know, when you have that, like so much blood going on. So I'm always uncomfortable. So I have to make an active attempt to choose what's joyful. And sometimes doing something different isn't accessible Mm. to me, like getting a massage or masturbating or taking a moment to, you know, eat something delicious. Sometimes I'm uncomfortable in the moment and there's nothing I can do about it other than actively choose to be present and focus on what's joyful. And what's joyful right now is connecting with two amazing women that I'm like, can we go back to talk about our stories with our parents and like, you know, let's talk about that first time. Like that, that to me, like that's what's fun right now. That's what's interesting. And that's what's overriding discomfort, which is like a really consistent part of my, of my life and has been for the past nine months. So mindfulness is top of mind for me. The best self-care. And what is a book or TV show or movie that you've been recommending lately? Okay. Books I've been recommending lately. Let me think about that. That's like, I've been recommending come as you are a lot, but just by virtue of the conversation that I just had, just to understand female sexual anatomy is a great one. I read think fast, thinking fast and slow, which is Daniel Kahneman recently. I really enjoyed that book, which is a different way about thinking about how to use your brain. That was a great one movies. This is actually been in my existence. So last weekend, my husband took my daughter away for the weekend. So they went away and I had the whole weekend to myself. I'm like, all I want to do is watch TV, but then I didn't plan ahead. And I'm like, I have no idea what to watch. So I watched this Adam Sandler movie with basketball and it was like not enjoyable. And so (laughs) I need recommendations for movies. I don't have any great ones. Oh, that's not true. What's that movie that just came out? It's called everything all at once. It's an, it's on HBO right now. It's, I think it's called everything all at once. And there's one more part of it. It's mm-hmm. basically about mindfulness as well. It's a great film. Cool. Everything all the time, all at once. I think that's it. I'll have to look it up. I too, like it's the same thing we talked about earlier. Like if someone asks me, Mia, what's your favorite movie? Forgot every movie I've yes. ever seen. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I have such a hard time choosing movies, remembering movies, remembering what I want to watch. So that was great. And you also want to give a response that like positions you in a certain way, because if you're like, yeah. oh my God, I watched I Love You, Man. You know, I love like that movie. <laughs> I, that probably would be my answer. Wait, isn't everything my everywhere like, this is 40? Yes. We just it's, Googled it. I think it's, is that what it is? It says everything everywhere all at once, but I don't know if this is the That's one you're it. talking about. That's it. It must be. A hundred percent. Yeah. 
Okay. I definitely have to add it to my list. I'm the same way. I feel like I sit on the couch and I'm like, oh my God, I have like a whole night to watch movies. And then I'm like, I don't have anything to watch. Like, I was having a mm-hmm. really, really tough time in life when I watched that movie. And it was like the perfect perspective change for me. I watched it really recently, but it basically is about it, it in many ways is about it's I actually would be fascinating to see what you think it's about because myself and my husband had really different interpretations of it cool I want to watch it it's a great recommendation I'm writing it down but what is speaking of your husband so much we talked a lot about your relationship but what is a must-have quality for you in a partner the ability to change the willingness to change think that life is long. And if you want to engage in life partnership with someone, change is the only thing constant in this world. So having someone who is flexible, but also joyful about evolution, like I don't care if you're not the perfect person today, if I can rely on you to want what's best for you and also to want what's best for me and to put the effort behind that, that to me is the most important quality in a partner. Definitely. What is one food you can't live without? Not a good question for me right now because I hate everything. Water. <laughs> Water. That's it. That's like everything my else I do not enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Oh, that's funny. Oh, so much to look forward to in pregnancy. Oh my gosh. I'm not the person to talk to. It's so funny because uh, a friend of mine I had this conversation with and I'm like, I used to be last pregnancy, the one that everybody hated, who like worked out constantly, was just like energized and then there was people like myself who I am today who just made it look at the most miserable existence and tried to drag everybody else down. I'm like, I'm that Mm. person now who's like, just (laughs) wait and see. Um, but it's, it's a phase. And hopefully if we ever talk again in a couple of years, I'll be in a different phase, but, um, yeah, I'm being honest about where I'm at, but also I'm being very clear that it doesn't have to be this way forever. Yeah. That's a good reminder too, that like every person's different, every pregnancy's different, like nothing's right, nothing's wrong. You're experiencing what you're going through. That's perfectly fine. But we love to close with advice. You've given such amazing advice throughout the episode, but what is advice you would give to young Shan? Oh, Oh man, I think I've actually been asked that before. And it seems like it should be something that I should have been asked before. Hmm. Definitely. I'm trying to figure out a way to word this because in essence, I talk about purpose a lot and people think about purpose as something you have to go find. Like you have to go on your eat, pray, love journey to, um, Bali to figure out like, what are you actually supposed to do in life? And I find that oftentimes a lot of our purposes are things we have to rediscover. And so when I think about young me, a lot of the things that I innately knew or that I was connected to or that I cared about are really what make my life so rich today. And there was a gap in between where, because other people didn't co-sign them and other people weren't championing those things, a la my passion for intimacy, I let go of them or people could convince me that I wasn't going to make money from it. So I pursued things that were more practical rather than things that were actually inspiring to me. And I think I would just tell myself like, you you know more than you think you do. And don't worry about if it makes sense today. Know that in 10 years, you're going to thank yourself so much for being authentically true to what you knew was right. And I wasted, I talk about, you know, I've been as a sex educator, you know, since 2005. It's not really true because 
I started in 2005 and then kind of like dropped off in 2008, 2009. And then I was back into it for a bit. And then like 2011 to 2014, I completely moved away from it because of shame and embarrassment. And then it really wasn't until probably 2015 that I was like, this is actually what I do. And I devote myself to it. And so I allowed so many other people's interpretations of my life and perceptions of what I was doing to hinder me and take me off of my path of what I knew was true for me. But what could have been possible if that version of me who was humping pillows and dancing around with naked Barbies would have just kept on with that? Who would I be by now? I feel like I really needed to hear that advice. It's just like so spot on for so many different things like that I personally needed to hear and that I'm sure a lot of people did. So I loved all of this conversation, but that was a great advice to end on. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Also, advice to everybody else out there, go out there and travel this summer. Um, Bumble has this incredible stat right now, which is one in three people are actually open to meeting someone and opening their hearts to moving for love and for working and abroad. So just like being more explorative, um, something that I'm looking forward to recapturing in my life after this phase is done is exploration and expansion. And it's something that I think that a lot of people can invite those two words into their mind and see what that means for them. I love that. Yeah, I love that. And definitely everyone listening, take advantage of that feature on Bumble. I'm traveling right now and I'm dating while I'm traveling and it's so much fun. It's so fun to just like be that like travel version of you and get out there and experience new things. And it it honestly, it helps you when you get back to your regular environment too, to be better at dating because you put yourself out there in this like new different situation. So I love all of that. And I love that Bumble is really leaning into that because it's such a fun thing. Can you give one fun travel dating story that's like just going to make me swoon? <laughs> I feel like I won't have anything that's going to like make you swoon. I honestly think for me, it's just like a fun way to like try new places. A lot of the places I travel, I travel alone and I don't know a lot of people there. So like I go on the dating apps, I tell people I'm here only for a few weeks or a week or whatever it is and go out with like no intention of any of like needing it to be anything besides just like a fun night with somebody like I went out on a date when I was traveling in LA and went to just like this fun rooftop bar that I probably wouldn't have gone to if I was just like by myself had drinks with a guy like didn't really have that much chemistry but had a fun time and then called it called it a day and that's kind of been like just a fun thing to go in with no expectations. That actually is a very swoony story for me. <laughs> That's very, very swoony for me. I love it. Rooftop cocktails. <laughs> yes. I love the idea too of like going on dates with people and appreciating the exchange and the time without it having to mm -hmm. equal out to something more for it to count. Like I had a great time totally. and I never want to see that person again. Like those things mm -hmm. can exist together and that's the joy of dating. So thank you for that. Yeah, no, I mean, thank you. And it shows you that it's possible to do that even if you're not traveling. Like you can just do that. Go out on a date, not have any expectations, have a fun time. And if there's nothing else, then there's nothing else. But you had like a fun night and you get a good story out of it. So that's always been my philosophy <laughs> with dating. Yeah, I think going to bumble.com, you can actually see a lot of the tips that we talked about and then the things that the trends that are happening. You guys asked the question about how to improve your profile. So the site itself, the app, of course, is where you go to connect, whether you're on Bumble Biz or your Bumble Friends or you're going to date on Bumble. But the website is where you can actually go to get so much more enhanced information. And kind of going back to what we said about practice plus apprenticeship, I think utilizing the app and the website together can really help do that. That's such a good tip. I feel like the Bumble website is so overlooked, but it is a trove of amazing information. And I'm glad you reminded everyone. We'll link that in our show notes as well with 
everything I'm about to ask you. So can you remind our audience where they can find you, where they can see any of your upcoming projects or work on any shows you're on? We would love to link it all. There's two podcasts that I'm working on right now. One is Lovers and Friends, which is my podcast, which is my greatest piece of work. And um, it's weekly. And then I also have a podcast with Headspace that's called Hung Up. And that is 11 episodes. So it's like a limited series podcast. And each week, we work with a different person who can't get over their ex and we do a deep dive into their situation. And then sometimes we call their ex. Sometimes we talk to a family member about it. Just a really fascinating look at what it takes to obtain closure. And I highly recommend people check that out. That's so fun. I love that concept. Yeah, definitely going to check it out. Thank you. And thank you so much for this conversation. We're so grateful to have talked to you. And we're so happy that we connected through Bumble, actually. So that is really cool. And we're so appreciative that this was all set up. And we can't wait to see everything that's to come in your family life and your career and everything like that. Thank you so much, Carly. Great luck traveling and dating. I'm here for it. (laughs) And Mia, I got to see I'm a wedding obsessionist. I should also note that that's part of the pressure. I did wedding photography to pay my way through school. So that's a big oh, reason why cool. too. Like I need a wedding. So I need to see all the wedding photos. Oh my all God. Your Pinterest boards, you can send it to me. I'm into all of it. Congratulations to oh, both of you. I will. Thank you so much. I will keep you updated. Might reach out for a hair and makeup <laughs> recommendation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 